Hello and good morning. Beautiful morning, all except for the wind. Um, get out there and enjoy the sunshine and getting your, your hair blown back. It's going to be good. Um, but I'm excited to be able to be uh, sharing with you during this sermon series we kicked off last Sunday called First. It's all about making God the number one first priority in our life, about digging into the reality that for Christ's followers, we are to keep Christ first in all things in every single area of our life. There's not any part of our life that we should not surrender to God and make Him head of. And when God is number one prior in our lives, then that shapes what we do and how we manage our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. But if we think about it and we're honest with ourselves, this is hard, right? This is challenging. It's a lot easier said than done because the world just bombards us with so many alternatives. We are just every day bombarded with messages and, and, and things that we should be pursuing or looking for or seeking after more importantly than God. As I reflected on this, I was <clears throat> reminded that for my 16-year-old self, my number one priority in life was getting my own car. That was number one for me. And uh, when I turned 16 and got my driver's license, I had a car. My first car was a 1986 Buick Skyhawk. It was an old beater that my dad had bought for us kids to drive. It didn't have a working air conditioner. It was a horrible, horrible car. And it wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. All I wanted was my very own car. So for a year, I worked, I saved, I had this tunnel vision. This is the one thing I needed in life to make my life complete. This was missing. Once I had that, everything else would fall into place. And I finally saved up enough money for a down payment. I got a 1994 Ford Escort, two-door coupe. It was blue. It was amazing. I went to Pet Boys and I bought $80 fake plastic chrome rims and slapped on the wheels. I went to Circuit City and I bought a, a CD player and I paid extra for the no-skip feature. It was amazing. It was my car. I owned it. I bought it. Well, the bank owned it and I was paying the bank for it, but it was my car. I could floor it at every green light. I could go get fast food whenever I wanted. Taco Bell tastes better at 11 o'clock at night. I don't know what it is, but Taco Bell tastes better at 11 o'clock at night. I could go get Taco Bell when I wanted. I could put $2 of quarters in the tank for gas instead of, as my dad taught me, when you get gas, you fill up the tank all the way. I do that now. I teach my kids that. That's what we do. But at the time, I'm like, I could just take $2 and put gas in it and have the rest for Taco Bell tonight at 11 o'clock. I had freedom. I had fullness, I had contentment, it was complete for six months. And then I wrecked it. Drove it into a light pole. Totaled it. I'm not going to tell you the, for others, a funny story. For me, a tragic story. You can take me out for coffee or nachos at Laguna Grande. I'll tell you all about what happened, how I ended up driving this car into a light pole. But I went from total freedom, total fullness to nothing. Nothing. I went to... And I started having to drive my mom's station wagon to work. I was having to ask my friends for a ride to school. About a year after that, it took me about two years before I got another vehicle, but about a year after that, there was a, a hit song on the radio by a group called TLC. I don't know if you I'm talking to anybody that knows this or not, but they had a song called Scrubs. And the line from the song was, a scrub is a guy who sits on the passenger side of his best friend's ride. I was a scrub! It was so hard being a scrub. But tell me if you can relate to that. 
We have these things that we identify in life, that if we just get those things, life will be complete, we'll be content. If I just accomplish that, achieve that, acquire that, reach that goal, reach that time, everything is going to fall into place afterwards. And no, you know what? That never works. It never happens. Because the reality is there's only one thing that we need in life, one person that needs to be our number one priority all the time, always, and that is God. Everything else is, is just temporary. None of it's lasting. This is the lesson that Jesus tries to drive home for us in Matthew 6. Listen to what he says. Very concise, very straightforward. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First and foremost, before anything. Back in January, uh, Craig did a very in-depth teaching on what Jesus taught in Matthew 6. So I'm not going to do that today, but I have to read uh, the, 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 the passage in its context, in its entirety, because we're going to dig into this reality that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, 33. But it helps us to have the context first. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. We're going to look at verses 19 through 33. The words will be on screen for you, but I'm going to invite us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to God in prayer before the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this day that you've brought us safely into, allowing us to gather here and worship you in safety, Lord. And we thank you for the truth of your word, how easily we can access it, God. Every single day, it's just available to us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would use it to shape us, guide us, challenge us, and motivate us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Listen to what Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the whole body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's, again, the core of what we're looking at. The, the center, the anchor of everything we're talking about today is Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
And he talks about all the common alternatives, the reality that there's so much else that can pull our attention away. And we tend to zero in on these things. We tend to focus in on these things. And Jesus went to the most basic of them. Money, food, shelter, clothing. Those are the things that Jesus zeroed in. He says, even those should not be number one priority over the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're going to unpack that more but I think it's important we understand what Jesus is not teaching here first. All right? Because I think it can, we can read this and maybe misunderstand a little bit. So first, Jesus is not teaching that money is unimportant. He's not teaching that money is unimportant or that work isn't necessary. Jesus himself was a carpenter. He had to work and provide for his household and his family. They needed that to survive. Among the 12 disciples, there was a treasurer who managed the finances for Jesus and all his followers. The ministry needed money to provide for the people that were part of it. And then the Apostle Paul, he taught in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, If anyone doesn't work, let him not eat. Clearly, money matters and work is important. We need those things in life. So Jesus isn't teaching that those things don't matter or are unimportant. All right. And then Jesus is not teaching us to stop... Uh, going to the grocery store or buying clothes. All right? That's not what he's teaching. Jesus, in fact, taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread. God, give us our, this day our daily bread. He taught us to pray about our food and where it might come from. And John 1 and Colossians 2 make it very clear that it is through Jesus and in Jesus and by Jesus and for Jesus that all things were created. And guess what? We were created to need food, water, and shelter to survive. Jesus isn't teaching us to, to think that money is unimportant and work is not necessary. He's not teaching us to just stop buying food or anything like that. And this passage is not merely about being worry-free. It's not about uh, attaining some sort of Zen existence where nothing phases us. And I think that's where a lot of us get hung up on this past scripture. We read that. I don't know about you, but if I read this passage of scripture through that lens, like it's all about being worry-free, I find this to be a very discouraging passage of scripture because I worry. I'm not worry-free. I've spent the last week worried about this war in Ukraine. Worried for the citizens of Ukraine. Worried for the citizens of Russia. Worried about all the needless death and destruction. I've even lost sleep over it. Last month, our, our, or back in January, our furnace started to act up. I tried to fix it myself. When I realized the part I needed to get to was way beyond my area of expertise and I would do more damage than good, I called the repair company. I was worried about how much that bill might be. I have a daughter in college. I'm worried about her as she transitions into high school or into adulthood, out of high school. I have a son who's getting ready to become an adult. I'm worried about him as he makes that transition as well. I'm worried about my two younger kids. Thankfully, I've never known what it's like to be without food. I've never known what it's like to go hungry, but I imagine if I was starving, I'd be worried about where my next meal might come from. So reading it from that lens, it's very discouraging. But that's not how Jesus wants us to read this passage. We cannot read this passage and say, all right, I renounce money. From this day forward, I don't need any money. I'm not going to go after money, and I'm not going to pay taxes or anything like that. I'm going to get by scot-free and see what happens. That's not how we read this passage. And we cannot read this passage and say, worry's gone. It's done. It's over. I'm not going to spend another second worrying. It doesn't work that way. If you figure out how to make that work, let me know. I want to know. We can't just speak it away. That's not how it works. What Jesus wants us to, to take from this 
The hammer home point that Jesus makes is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And it'll change the way we see all these other things. It'll change how we prioritize our life and what we pursue after. And it'll change our, our conception, our viewpoint of all that other stuff. Jesus teaches us here. He teaches us a key point. We are going to serve a master. That's how we are. That's how we're wired. We're going to serve a master. We can either serve a master that's going to enslave us, whether that's money or, or possession or wealth or promotion or sex or whatever it may be, drugs, who knows? We're going to serve a master. We can pick one that will enslave us. Or we can seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, thereby making God our master. That's when we experience true freedom and fullness that is only found in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is trying to drive home for us. And so I want to explore what, what it looks like, what, how we can begin to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, but we can't seek what we know. So I want to share a few things about what Jesus meant by that phrase, God's kingdom and his righteousness. Just a few clarifying statements so we have a better understanding of what it is that we are to seek first and foremost. So the first truth is this, the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness are one and always together. This isn't two things that we're to seek first. This is one thing. God's kingdom and his righteousness are one thing. It's not like we go here and do this to seek God's kingdom, and then we go here and do this to seek his righteousness. No, when we're seeking one, we're seeking the other. There is no, uh, we cannot seek God's kingdom without God's righteousness, and God's righteousness does not exist outside of God's kingdom. So that's one key thing. God's kingdom and righteousness are the same. One and the same and always go together. And then second, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it's here now and it's very, very real now. It's very real now. Mark 1.15, Jesus declares the purpose for his ministry. It says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what Jesus taught. This is the first thing he said. This is the reason for his ministry. The kingdom of God is what? At hand. Not far away, not in the future. It's at hand. When he taught us to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not later, but now. Luke 17, 20 through 21 Listen to this. Listen to Jesus' response to this question. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. When Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it's not something that we're heading towards way over there or way into the future. It's something now, here, in our midst, before us, around us. It is reality. It's who we are, what we are, and why we are. It is happening now. We are living in it now. It is who we are now. Now, to be clear, it's going to be fully realized when Jesus comes back again, but it was inaugurated at his birth, and it was ushered in at his death and resurrection. We are, as Christ followers, we are living in God's kingdom and his righteousness through Jesus Christ. That's so important for us to recognize. The Apostle Paul, he clarifies this even more. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, that's not something down the road. It's, it's now. When we choose to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we become that. It changes who we are. It transforms us into something that God created us to be. So hopefully we have this clearer picture of what Jesus meant by God's kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus says that we're to seek these things first and all these things will be added to you. It's important to know this is not some prosperity gospel that Jesus is teaching. We're not saying follow Jesus and you're going to have all the money you want. Not going to happen. At least, I, I, I mean, it's not happened for me yet. I've never known what it's like to be rich, you know, at least not by America's standards. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying seek first. When God is number one prior in our lives and our perception and pursuit of all things changes. So then, the question we go back to is how do we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, I can simply say, just read Matthew 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus explaining what it is like to live in the reality of the kingdom of God and his righteousness being here now. And then you can go back online, listen to our Kingdom of Living series back in the fall and earlier this winter. You can listen to that. That's a great place to start. But here's something that I think can happen. And, and I've heard this, people have said this to me, and if I'm being honest, this thought has creeped into my mind a little bit here and there. We can sometimes say, well, of course Jesus did those things. Of course Jesus said those things. He was God, and I'm only human. Have you ever thought that? Of course, of course I'm going to fall short. Of course I'm going to have other priorities. I'm only human. I'm not going to get too much into this, but to say I'm only human diminishes what it means to be human because we were created human by God and God has so much for us. To say we're only human diminishes what God made us to be. But maybe that is what creeps into your mind when you read a passage like this. Maybe it can be a source of discouragement, but more harmfully, it can be an excuse that we use to justify us not doing what Jesus said. I'm only human. So what do we do then? Well, we, we can look to other examples from Scripture. And we have an amazing example in the Apostle Paul, who, guess what, was only human, if we're going to use that language. We can read a, a biography of Paul throughout the book of Acts and, and throughout his letters, and we learn, we learn that it's through Paul that... that the moment he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had been on a journey to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in Paul, we can follow that example. I, have a, I heard a pastor once say, um, watching Tiger Woods golf does not make me want to golf. It makes me realize how bad I am at golfing. Well, sometimes reading through what the Bible tells us to do makes us realize how far we fall short. Particularly if we're reading Jesus, because we say again, he was God, we're not. But we can read Paul. There's nothing that Paul did that we can't do. Because we are empowered by the same spirit and same God that Paul was empowered by. And I think Paul offers this valuable teaching on, on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's, he writes about it in Philippians 4, 4 through 13. So turn your Bibles there. We're going to read this passage of Scripture now. We're going to pick, I think, some very practical, clear steps that we can start to take or, or begin to take more intentionally if we're not already doing it that will help us seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to point out first the echoes in Paul's teaching that come from Jesus' teaching. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious, don't worry. Why, Paul says, why can we not be anxious about anything? Well, he says, the Lord is at hand. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus said at the start of his ministry. And all throughout his ministry, the Lord is at hand. So we see this this reiteration from Paul of the reality that the kingdom of God and his righteousness, realized in and through Jesus Christ, is here now. And what did living in that reality do in Paul's life? Paul explains it. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I've learned to be content in every situation that he is in. I think it's probably fair for me to say that Paul lived a harder life than any of us could ever imagine. I know there's some hard roads that have been traveled represented in this room and online. I don't know everybody's story. You may have lived a hard life, but I think I can confidently say none of us have lived a hard life the way Paul lived. And it was through all those things, through all those experiences, that Paul, by keeping and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he learned to be content in all things. He endured beatings, arrests, deadly snake bites, shipwrecks, storms at sea, and ultimately a painful death for his beliefs. But it was through all that, in the midst of all that, that Paul experienced contentment. Because, because he sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, how do we do that? How can we live that out? How can we follow this? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think that wording is important. The more we do it, the more it becomes normal for us, the more it becomes just a way of life for us, And it'll just be something that we can do each and every day, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As I said, I think there's there's a lot we can get from this passage, and there's a lot that came before it in the rest of the letter to the Philippian church, but we don't have time for that. I think from this passage, though, we can pull out three clear steps that we can begin to take that'll help us keep God's kingdom and his righteousness first in our lives. It'll just be a way each and every day to remind us of that reality and to keep us in that reality, open our eyes to that reality. The first thing is this. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. If you were here last Sunday, Pastor Brian kicked off the sermon series and he taught, uh, again, from, the, from Matthew, Jesus is teaching on the greatest commandment. And when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he said it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I think rejoicing in the Lord always, is, it's a way of, of aligning our heart with God's kingdom and his righteousness. In God's kingdom and righteousness, we always have something to celebrate, always something to rejoice about. Even in the worst of circumstances, we can rejoice anytime we're brought into a new day. That's worth celebrating. That's worth rejoicing. We're all here today. We have something to celebrate. Every breath we're able to take in our lungs, that's something worth celebrating. That's something worth celebrating. And then even when we don't come into a new day and when the breath in our lungs stops, guess what? We have something to celebrate because we will be in God's presence, fully living, realize in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's always something to rejoice in the Lord about. And if we rejoice in the Lord always, it'll shape our heart, align our heart towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then Paul says, step number two, if you will, pray with thanksgiving about everything. Pray with thanksgiving about everything. This is about aligning our soul with God's kingdom and righteousness. God can handle anything we throw at Him. He can handle anything we say to Him. He he won't be offended. He won't be hurt by it. He won't be shocked by it. He knows everything anyway, right? He knows our thoughts. He knows our feelings. He knows our actions. He knows our secrets. There are no secrets from God. So we might as well talk to God about everything. And we do so with thanksgiving because it is a privilege to be able to talk to God, the God of the universe. Scripture says that God uses the earth as His footstool. We get to talk to Him. That's something to be thankful about. As a pastor, I get to talk to a lot of people and I sit with a lot of people and people tell me about things they're going through and stuff like that. And I hear about a lot of struggles and hurts and pains that people are experiencing. And one of the first things I always ask when someone shares me is, when's the last time you talked to God about that? And I get mixed answers. I get mixed answers on that. A lot of times it's, I do every day. And I'll say, well, keep going because that's the best thing you can do. But a lot of times people will say, you know what? I haven't. That's where to start. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. (laughs) Talking to God keeps us connected to God, which keeps us open to the reality of His kingdom and His righteousness right here present in our midst. So rejoice in the Lord always. Pray with thanksgiving about everything. And lastly, think about the right things. Think about the right things. This is, I'm condensing what Paul wrote here, but right thinking is about aligning our mind with God's kingdom and his righteousness. And it's absolutely dependent on the first two things, praising God and praying to God will help us think about the right things. And Paul describes what those things are. And what Paul is actually describing is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you need uh, uh, words that describe what God's kingdom and his righteousness are, Paul says it here. The kingdom of God and His righteousness, they're true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. Praising God and praying to God opens our minds to these things. This is so important, but of the two, for me, this one's the hardest. (laughs) Because my mind races a million miles an hour. Anybody else like that? My mind's just constantly on the go, and, and you can ask people I work with. I can't focus on any one thing for too long. 
I always get up and walk around. I don't let anybody else get any work done in this place. Because I'm always walking to people's offices and talking to people. My mind just goes and goes and goes. And so it's so important for me to do these other two things. It helps rein in my thoughts and focus my thoughts on God. Thinking about these things will influence how we see the world around us. Around us, We'll be able to notice more and more of these qualities of the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness around us because of the reality that the kingdom of God and his righteousness is here now at hand in our midst. So the big takeaway is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness no matter what the world tells you you should seek instead. No matter what. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. How do we do that? We rejoice in the Lord always, pray to God with thanksgiving about everything, and think about the right things. And if you haven't made a decision for Christ yet, that's start there. Say yes to Jesus. That's the most important thing you can do. If you're ready to do that today, talk to someone about it. Let me know. I'll be up front. Or go over to Info Central. Someone will be there. They'll talk to you about it. If you already have said yes to Jesus, then I encourage you to Get connected in one-to-one discipleship. Many of you here need to be discipled by somebody. Many of you here are ready to disciple someone. Whatever role you take in that one-to-one discipling relationship, it's going to help us grow and develop. And and with others in our life, rejoice in the Lord always. Pray to God with thanksgiving about everything and thinking the right things. Now, I have to be honest, as we close here, the band starts to play. I struggled writing this sermon. It was hard for me. Because anytime I get up here, I'm always mindful and I always pray to God, how am I living what I'm about to get up and talk about? And I have to be honest. Sure, that's funny. (laughs) It's true, though. It's hard. Because if I'm honest with myself, you know, I was talking earlier to somebody and I said, like, August, September, October, November, like, I was just, I felt closer to God than I ever have in my entire life. I was spiritually thriving. But like, January and February, I've been spiritually surviving, it feels like. And letting a lot of other things become number one in my life. And, and it's been hard. It's been convicting. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's been times I haven't done that. Thank God for his faithfulness. Thank God for his patience. And here's something that's, that's I feel like God's been trying to teach me or remind me of. You know, God still speaks to us, right? Not necessarily in like an audible voice where we hear him speak, but he speaks to us. He speaks to us through the reading of his word. He speaks to us through other people speaking in our lives, but he speaks to us, I think, a lot of times by repetition. You ever like pray about something or asking God for help with something, and then you start to hear it or see it over and over again? That's God trying to get your attention. And one thing that's been popping up in Scripture and devotions and prayer and other people saying it to me and songs I'm listening to, all this stuff is God saying, am I worthy? Am I worthy? So if you find yourself where I've been, where it's just letting other things get in the way, ask yourself, is God worthy of being my number one? And then follow up with this question and get someone else to ask you this question as a way of accountability. In what ways has God shown himself worthy this week? Not ever in your past. It's easy to find some way in the past, but what is God doing right now in your life that he is showing that he is worthy of being number one? Think about that right now. 
Is God worthy? Has God shown his worthiness to you this week? If he has, you're going to stand up in a minute anyway for the song, but if God has shown that he is worthy to you this week in some way, shape, or form, I just want to invite you to stand up. Just stand up and declare it for all to see. God is worthy and he's shown me his worthiness. Has God, has God done something in your life that there's no other explanation for than God doing it in your life? Has he helped you through a hurt or a habit or a hang-up? Has he, has he helped restore a broken relationship? Has he helped you through grief or pain? Has he answered a prayer? Has he provided you with some sort of financial boost or something? Some of those things happen. They're not coincidences. It's God. God is worthy. And he's active in our lives right now. We're going to sing a song praising God for that. So shout out your praises to God because he is worthy. He is worthy to be praised. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for all you are and all you do, God, in our life. Help us, Lord, to, just by the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, keep you first, rejecting everything else that may try and get in the way of that. And Lord, I pray for all those in this room or watching online or at our Hopewell campus who have not yet made a decision for you. I pray that today they would decide to put you first and say yes to you for the first time. And all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. And help us all, Lord. Recognize all the ways we can rejoice in you. We can talk to you with thanksgiving and we can think about the kingdom of heaven, your kingdom, God, your righteousness. We love you, Lord, and give you praise. We pray all this in your name.